Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. I'm Adam Listek, a web developer based out of central Illinois and northern California. I've been consulting for oh, around 15 years now, and I've worked in a lot of different fields. This is my first attempt at a podcast, so thank you for joining me in this experiment. So the topic today is automation. Uh, I want to talk about three tools that I personally use, and they've been a tremendous help for making my life considerably easier as a loan developer. You know, if you don't have a team uh, that you can kind of divvy out tasks to, well, and even if you do, uh, these tools can make your life infinitely easier. You know, if you take the time to kind of figure out what are your processes, what things can be made easier, because uh, it is definitely a a calculation of how much time do I spend actually writing the scripts, you know, to do the automation, and does it actually save me any time in the long run if it only, say, takes me two seconds to do an operation, and then it takes me, you know, a, two days to write the script. So, you know, it, it's about that kind of uh, give and take, but I think these tools will help you a lot. So the first tool I want to talk about today is Ansible. Ansible is... Well, best described as just an IT automation tool. It has a pretty simple lang markup language, uh, something called YAML, which incidentally stands for yet another markup language. Uh, it has an agentless architecture, which means it doesn't install anything on the target system, uh, unlike, I believe, Chef and Puppet, uh, which are other systems. And it all runs over SSH. So what can it offer? Well, it, it has a lot of features. Um, Pretty much everything that it does is generally encapsulated in uh, playbooks. Uh, and what that means is it's just a series of tasks that are kind of strung together. Um, you, you can do ad hoc commands, uh, which are like, for a good example, this was uh, Heartbleed. Uh, when that vulnerability came out and it was about OpenSSL leaking information uh, with enough repeated special queries, uh, you, you needed to quickly update the version of OpenSSL on a lot of servers, and Ansible would have been a good tool to do that. Uh, in fact, I used that at, to do that very operation um, because what it can do is say, you know, you could write the whole playbook for it, but you could just do a command uh, using its command line tool. And that's basically what I did. I said, you know, apt upgrade OpenSSL if you're using Ubuntu. And I ran that against all my hosts. Uh, the cool thing about it is that it can do parallel. So if you've got, you know, 100 hosts and you want to run, instead of it doing sequentially, like one at a time, uh, waiting for the prior one to finish, it can do a bunch at, you know, at the same time. And that is configurable, so it's not like you are instantly firing off the task at 100 servers. Um, the other idea behind Ansible... Um, though I, I believe it's certainly not Ansible-specific, uh, but it tries to be very something called inimpotent or idempotent, and I'm certainly not sure I'm pronouncing that 100%, but the idea really is being that when you run a task over and over again, it, it's doing the same, it's getting the same results no matter how many times you run it. So, you know, I think about it this way. When I have a playbook that provisions a new server, I don't want, if I do run that again, I don't want it to screw up anything on that server. 
in reality, I should be able to over and over apply that, and it should just make sure the settings are as I've defined it. So the firewall's on, all the packages that are supposed to be there are you know, there, the logging's in place, the users are set up the way they should be, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, the way that I personally use it, um, as I said, uh, provisioning servers, uh, provisioning WordPress sites, uh, doing backups. I've actually replaced my existing like bash scripts that did various backups and then dumped it out to Google. Uh, I actually replaced it with Ansible playbooks. And the cool thing about that is that I get a little better logging. It seems like I get a little better error recovery. Uh, it's a little easier for me personally to understand. So I, I've seen a lot of benefit in doing it that way. Uh, some of the other stuff, oh, I, I've done one-off playbooks for a variety of things. You know, as I said, to update packages or configure a specific tool for something. So you can do a lot. Uh, it kind of adds the need comes up. Uh, some of the other things uh, that, you know, to know about it, it does require Linux as its command server, I suppose, although it's not, it's, it's not really a server. You can just install it and run it. Uh, but if you're running commands against uh, different hosts, although it can target Windows hosts, you, you do need Linux to actually run the playbook initially. Uh, that being said... Uh, one thing I have found I've been able to do, um, mostly because I switch between a MacBook and Windows computer and occasionally servers for Linux, you know, generally not for running that type of thing, uh, but you can install the Windows Linux subsystem in Windows 10. Uh, you have to turn developer mode on, do a few other things, but what's kind of cool about that is you can have a whole Ubuntu container, basically, and install Ansible into it. And since that subsystem can actually see the um, C drive and you know actually access the same files on your Windows side, there's some you know kind of sim linking and stuff you can do to make it about equal, so you can change stuff in either side and it just kind of works. Uh, so it, it's really cool. Um, I really recommend checking it out. Uh, it's got a lot of very good examples and a lot of things people have done. Tons of modules. Uh, if you get more, you know, a little fancier into it, you can do that whole reusability of code thing with roles. Um, and it, it's got other features like dynamic and static hosts, you know. So it's really cool. Check it out. Uh, let me know how you're using it. I would, I would love to see. So the next tool I want to talk about is something called Buddy. Uh, what Buddy is is Kind of, you know, again, in the same idea of automating repeated tasks, um, same, you know, something like Ansible's doing. And in fact, you can do a bunch of these things kind of with Ansible, but this is far more geared towards actual development and dealing with code and what you do with that. So the idea behind it is you can build and test and deploy code, uh, it's continuous delivery but done in a pretty simple and easy to understand way. Uh, it is a Git repository or Git server. I shouldn't say Git repository, but a Git server that you can store your repositories on, uh, though it does integrate with any number of external ones. You don't have to put your code there. Um, it's got a couple different versions. Um, it's got this their you know buddy in a cloud, which is essentially their hosted version. You can run 
different, you know, uh, levels of actions at the same time and the number of people you can have in. And they also offer an option for what's called, they call Buddy Enterprise. And it really is a self-hosted version. Uh, there is a premium version of that that's for pay, and I recommend if you need it for larger teams and that kind of stuff, by all means. Uh, but I use the self-hosted version that, you know, is their free version. It's up to like 10 users. Uh, it doesn't have, doesn't allow you to use custom SSL certificates or a host name. But you can get around that by, you know, using like Nginx to proxy against, you know, domain you have and uh, let's encrypt for certificates. So you do have to do a little finagling with like the config files for SSH, but it does work. And I found that it works spectacularly well. And it, what's cool about it is it has a same, it has these ideas of pipelines. So you define uh, you know your repository that you're using, and then you define a pipeline. And in that pipeline, let's call it development. Uh, every time I commit, I want it to run. And when it runs, I'm going to deploy uh, to run Grunt, for example. Uh, if I want to compress some files, concatenate, minify, uh, then I want to generate like a version file, uh, environment file. Uh, then I want to deploy it to my server, and I want to send a notification to Slack to say, hey, I've been successful or not. Uh, so that's just an example of a pipeline. It's got recurring um, pipelines that run on a schedule so for like website monitoring. Uh, everything runs in a Docker container. So what's really cool about that is I can run Ansible playbooks. Uh, you know, if you create just a local action on there that says run Ubuntu 1604 container, and you do the setup commands for that as you know, installing Ansible and a couple other prerequisites and things. And what you end up with is a container that you can run against other things. Now, you might have to pass some SSH keys and that kind of stuff in there, but, you know, that can get a little tricky. But it has a lot of power to move that kind of data around as you need it. Uh, so it's really flexible, especially with the whole Docker infrastructure. Uh, it's super easy to install and update because of the fact that it uses Docker. Uh, it just pulls down what it needs, and on update, just basically stops the containers and destroys them and redownloads and upgrades them. But it does maintain your data and does backups and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I've mentioned kind of how I was using it a lot of deployment pipelines, so development and production. Uh, I don't really have a testing one yet, though I've been thinking about it. Uh, you know, I do a couple monitoring pipelines for a few sites. Sometimes it's complex, sometimes it's easy. You know, it just kind of depends on need. I, I do use other tools for that, generally speaking. But I have been playing around with it a bit in Buddy to see kind of what I can do. And does it, you know, gain me anything? Um, and I'm going to talk about this next you know with regards to PowerShell but I did want to call you know ahead to that a little bit because actually you can get away with running PowerShell within uh, a pipeline by doing much the same as I was I was doing before with Ansible by creating a Docker container and now that PowerShell can run multi-platform you can actually install in there and run scripts so kind of a cool feature um, 
especially since it started out as a Windows technology on the you know PowerShell did. Uh, but it's really cool. So I'll talk about that next. But it, it's well worth exploring. Uh, it saved me a considerable amount of time because I haven't had to run those tasks I normally do or have it local to my system, you know, where I might forget to set up or might forget to run. And I get a nice logging and shell output. So it's it's honestly very cool. It's got a great UI. Uh, check it out um, and let me know, again, how you're using it because I'm always looking for new use cases and other things I haven't thought to do. So uh, the third technology I want to talk about. Uh, one is it started out as a Windows Microsoft technology. Um, it's called PowerShell. Uh, and so what it is, it's a scripting language, uh, command line, you know, like Bash really. Um, but the language is a start out Windows, but it's centered around the idea of objects and pipelines. So everything going down, you know, everything you pass in and out of a what's called a commandlet, so like a function, uh, is an object. So even if it's a simple string, well, that string is an object, and it's got various methods on it other than just the data. Uh, but what all this does is it makes data pretty easy, you know, to manipulate. So I could pass in a string to a function and then do something to it and pass that down the pipeline by using just like the pipe character, you know, appropriately enough and pass it to another function that does something more and so on and so forth. So you can do a lot with it just by that, but you get a, a lot more power by creating what's called like advanced functions and you know, doing more types of you know, manipulation around that where you can create your own, emulate even their official commandlets and things. So it, not a lot of it's constrained by oh, well, because you didn't compile or do this, you know, because the original commandlets were written in C-sharp, I believe, but you can basically do all of the same stuff because it is based on .NET, ultimately. Um, but you don't have to know it. If you know PowerShell, uh, the language itself, you can write pretty much all of the exact same stuff that you could do. So you might be thinking, well, what does this matter for a web developer mostly working in the Linux world or on the Mac? Um, well, as of about a year ago, they released, um, maybe a little more, but they released uh, PowerShell as a uh, cross-platform tool. So they you know, stripped out the Windows-specific things, and they have re you know, released it as like a core version where the, uh, most of the main modules or the functions that you're able to use and uh, the language itself is available on any number of different systems. I've installed it on uh, servers and on Mac OS and you know that kind of stuff. Now it's not uh, version one yet, uh, so be you know uh, be prudent, you know, be careful with it. Uh, I haven't found any problems with it, but that's not to say there are. And you know, and until you get that official 1.0 stamp, then it's well worth kind of you know being careful with it and evaluating. But you can do a lot of stuff. And I really think of it as a way to glue different aspects of an architecture together. Because it makes it so easy to manipulate objects and perform those types of operations, I've, I've found it a good tool to take the output of one set of technologies, do a bunch of manipulation on it, and move it into another one. It's 
awesome at working with REST APIs. It just makes it super easy to, you know, create hash tables of data and then do operations on it, and it's pretty fast, and then move that to another, you know, API. So I, I've mostly used it for that. Um, you know, some of the other things is I've been using it for, it's a lot of reporting, uh, like let's encrypt SSL expirations, and then reporting that to Slack, and those types of things. As I wrap up my first ever podcast and recording in this series, I want to say thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this and found it useful. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter at bitvbyte and on our website, bitvbyte.com, and that's B-Y-T-E. I look forward to hearing any responses, good and bad, and I hope to see you next week.